Well, good morning. This sermon, these notes were out of order, so that's what I'm doing, shuffling during that video frantically. But it's great to be here with you. Uh, It's good to have you here with us. My name is Nathan Hinkle, and he just said that. So we're in our last week here of a series that we started at the beginning of January called Made for More. And here's what we've been doing um, in this series um, for these last uh, five or six weeks. Okay, the intention, this was written by Paul. Um, the greatest church planter in the first century in the Mediterranean world, all right? And he writes this letter to the Christians living in the city of Ephesus, all right? To the, to the churches in the city, uh, it's modern-day Turkey, all right? And the intention of this letter is to instruct these new believers, all right? It's, it's the middle of the first century. Um, the message of Jesus is starting to spread rapidly through the Mediterranean world. And in Ephesus, Paul's intention with this letter, okay, was to help them understand how to live this made-for-more life that God had called them to in Jesus, right? What does it look like to live this made-for-more life in Jesus. And what's, what's fascinating for that is not only did that have direct application in the lives of the new believers in Ephesus, but it's a critical message for us today as well. Because what Paul does is he, he looks at these Christians, at this mixed group of people that come together under the name of Jesus, and he says, you were made for more. You were made for more than your religious backgrounds, your, your faith traditions, or the beliefs that you had before you came to know Jesus. You were made for more than just that. He looks at them as he looks at us and he says that you were made for more. There's just your pursuit of success, of money, of recognition, of sex, and whatever it is. He said, Paul says, you were made for so much more than that. What Paul says to them, as it says to us today, is that you're made, you were made for more. You were made for more than just whatever your, your own abilities, right, your own talents, wherever those can carry you, and there's a limit, Paul says you were made for so much more than just that. You were made for more. You were made for more than the identities that you cling to, the things that you think identifies and makes up who you are. Paul argues because of Jesus, you were made for more. In fact, what he says throughout the letter to the Ephesians is that Jesus, all of the fullness of God's power and God's love was poured into the person of Jesus Christ. So the fullness of of God's love is in Jesus. Therefore, Therefore, all of the more that you and I believe is out there, the more that we sense is out there for relationships, for faith, for, for our future, we all sense it's there. Paul's argument is, that's Jesus. We find the more in him. Not so, so here's what's exciting about that, all right? is that not only gives us a new identity, which is critical, okay? This is what Paul's outlining for these people who've just come to know Jesus. He says, not only does this truth give you a new identity, it gives the church, God's people, a brand new mission. It gives us purpose, a purpose that we didn't have before. So in this Made for More series, and we've said this from the beginning, okay? So I'm gonna reiterate it now. This is not just a series that we started in January and followed for about six weeks, and then we're gonna move on to something else. Made for More for White Oak Christian Church is a stake in the ground. This is a stake in the ground season for our church because this is what we're gonna be about. 
This is what we're going to be about, and this is who we are. And so if you're a guest with us today, maybe this is one of your first times here, uh, welcome. I'm really glad you're here. And so now what you get to hear is just you get to hear what we're about. You get to hear and see where this church is headed for the rest of the year and into the future. Now, one of the uh, tools that we've been using, I've been encouraging you, and I'm going to continue to do that, is to get onto the website and take the Made for More assessment. What that does, it takes you about 20 or 30 minutes. You can save your profile. You can go back to it. So if you can't finish it, all right. And what it's doing is you answer these questions. And and I'm telling you what, it's been really, really fun just for people who have taken the assessment. I've had half a dozen or more conversations with people whose eyes have been open, including my own when I took it whose eyes have been opened to these, these unique gifts that God has given us. It gives you this profile, right, of, of these ways that God has gifted each of us, these unique ways. And it's really fun to look through because people have been bothered by it. Um, they've been angered by it. They've been challenged by it. They've been excited about it. So the conversations with people about how God's wired them to do this mission that he's given to the church, it's really a fascinating thing. So I encourage you, make sure you get on and you take and you finish that assessment because it's going to equip you with some amazing knowledge about how God has uniquely gifted you. So on your program today, this is our big idea. We were made to win more. It's printed on your program. I encourage you to take some notes because we're going we're gonna to talk through a lot of stuff today and I want to make sure that you're ready. We were made to win more. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6 today. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, Chris mentioned the hub when he was up here. So when you leave, it'll be on your right-hand side. Go grab a free Bible. We also have a card there that walks you through how to download this really incredible Bible app um, that many of us have and love. It's a great, great tool, and you can download that as well. But we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6, starting with verse 10. Here's what Paul says. He says, a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Now, Paul, all along, through his letter to the Ephesians, starting in chapter 1, is sounding an alarm. And that's what he's doing here. He's like, church, you need to wake up. All right? Be ready. Because God is mobilizing his church. That's what he's saying to the Ephesians in the first century. He's like, God is mobilizing his church now. And he's deploying us and activating us on this mission Now, what we've said, because Paul's kind of helped identify, well, what is the mission of the church? Why were we given these gifts? Like, what are we supposed to be doing? This is how Paul kind of defines it, and he really just defines it the same way Jesus did. Here we are. We are to take the fullness of God's love into every corner of our culture. If the fullness of God's love is in Jesus, and Jesus is in us, then we are to take the fullness of God's love into every corner of our culture. What does that mean? That means that you take the love of Jesus into every relationship. You take the love and the message of Jesus into every conversation you have about uh, presidential elections, about your opinions about the Super Bowl halftime show, okay? 
that the fullness of God's love is infiltrating every place. Now listen, not only that, and here's something for you to write down as well. The mission of the church is that we represent God's character in every place we live, work, learn, and play. That's the mission of the church. That's also a piece of it, that you and I represent the character of God in every place we live, work, learn, and play. And that's why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, I don't remember now, that we have this unique set of gifts. So every single person who's a follower of Jesus in this room, and even if you're not, it's been given to you, though you may not know it yet, all right, has been given this unique set of giftedness in order to accomplish God's mission to take the love of Jesus to every sphere of society. I said this a couple of weeks ago, all right? I shared this with you, and it's kind of mind-blowing to think about, but it's true, that in this room alone right now, in this room, the people that are here, exists all of the talent, all of the abilities, all of the gifts needed to turn our community and our city upside down with the love of God. In this room right now exists the gifts and, and, and people in this room, everything that's needed for our schools, everything that's needed to instill in our teenagers hope and purpose, everything that's needed to instill in our, in our children to meet uh, needs, to help heal addictions, to help loneliness, to help single moms, everything that's needed to flip our city upside down in the name of Jesus, the talents and the gifted and the passions to do it exist in the people in this room if we would only grab hold of them and answer that call. We are on the offensive. The church is on the offensive to illuminate the love of Jesus in our, in our community, okay? Like, this is our call. And the beautiful thing about God's love is, the beautiful thing about love is that it is love, it is God's love, that awakens our culture to the more that we have in Jesus. So Paul says, I leave you with these final words. Now, anytime someone's writing a letter, right, or you hear that, and they say, okay, so now let me leave you with these final words, it kind of begs us to, to lean into that a little bit, to listen closely, because Paul is basically saying with that one line, everything I've said culminates to this point, right? Everything I've said comes to this. And the first thing he says is, be strong in God's mighty power. Be strong in God's mighty power. Now, I love what he doesn't say. Sometimes what, what, what Paul doesn't say is just as important. He doesn't say, muster your strength. Be strong in your power. He says, be strong in God's power. It's God's power and fullness that dwells in Jesus, in Jesus who dwells in you. So guess who it's not up to? It's not up to you or me. We can't accomplish this. It's God's power and his work at work in us. And so for me, as I hope this is for you too, that's a relief because I can screw a lot of things up. I'm pretty sure you could too. But it's God's power at work in us. We can't accomplish this mission on our own, church. It's the power of God in us and working through us. That's what wins the day. Now he also leaves us with these final words. He also, these final words comes with a warning, doesn't it? Paul says, you have an enemy, church. Church, you have an enemy. It's the devil. It's Satan. 
And he wants to keep you asleep to your identity and to your mission. All right? Satan wants to put you on the defensive, church. That's what Paul's saying. Church, listen, like, man, God, wake up because God's deploying you. It's mobilization time. And then he warns us, he said, however, we have an enemy who wants to keep you asleep to your identity and your mission. He wants to put you on the defensive, hunkered down and relatively unaware of the spiritual happenings in your life. So, So what does it look like to be on the defensive as a church? For some of us, and this is in every church, you see this. That means for some of us, we, we just kind of stay hidden. We kind of like plug up our ears and we cover our eyes to the culture around us and we just defend ourselves. And so we kind of stay in our holy huddles inside the church walls or we, we stay in our Bible studies or in our life groups and we just hide from the culture around us and we say, Jesus is coming back soon. If we can just hold out and just stay hidden and just protect ourselves, we'll be fine. And we can say hunker down, right? And, and, and just kind of just do the prep work we think that's needed in order to keep us safe enough. Do you remember when the millennia turned over to uh, 2000, the whole Y2K scare? Anybody remember that? Yeah, yeah, remember that? You were freaked out. How many of you still have your bunkers full of cans, um, peaches, and bottled water? Anybody still got that, not willing to admit it? Okay, it's fine. We're laughing at you now, but when the zombie apocalypse happens and we come knocking on your door, you get the last laugh. All right. So, so you have your, your bunkers. Remember people were freaked out. Like when the computers turn over to zero, zero, it's going to like, the whole world's going to blow up and people freaked out. Right. So they were prepared. And so that's what Satan wants to keep the church doing just so that we feel prepared enough, a little bit of Bible, just so that you feel like you've prepped your family enough, come to church once in a while, right? A little dose of religion, a little dose of church, just enough to prepare ourselves in case this Jesus thing happens to be real, and we think it probably is, we'll be ready. And Paul's saying, church, wake up. Unlike Y2K, which ended up to be fake, this enemy is real. And you can't ignore the spiritual happenings, the things that are happening in and around you. And one of the ways that we just totally are oblivious or we just, just kind of stay asleep to the spiritual things that are, that are happening around us is this whole masterpiece mission, right? Earlier in Ephesians, Paul says that you were created as masterpieces, each and every one of us uniquely, by God to carry out his mission because he loves you. But you know what Satan would have us believe? No, that's not true. That's not me. I don't have what it takes. I've already done enough. I'm not ready yet. God doesn't see me that way. And even some, and I've talked to people about this assessment, right? And we've talked and we've laughed about some, some of the uh, people who are taking it. And, and, and I've heard this as common. Don't take this assessment that they're talking about at church. As soon as you do, 30 minutes after you hit submit, someone from White Oak's going to be calling you, asking you to do something. Right? Right? That's what, and we laugh because you think it's true right? You think it's true. And you're like, man, I don't want them to call me and ask me to do anything. Like, listen, folks, listen, be quiet. Stop, stop. All right. Because, because I took the assessment. Nobody called me. All right. No one called. No one cared that I took it. All right. But here's, here's the thing. But, that, but that's exactly what the evil one would have us believe, right? Don't take the assessment. They'll be calling you up and be like, we need more greeters or we need more people to grind coffee. So we see that you have the spiritual gift of it doesn't matter. Um, 
can you come rock babies for us? You know what I'm saying? And that's just kind of where we stick because that's our nature. It's like, oh, I don't know. Guys, listen, I don't get commission based on who fills out that stinking thing, all right? I don't get my paycheck, doesn't get any higher, all right? This is a tool for an assessment, but Satan would love for us to believe what I just said and live there, unaware of the spiritual happenings that God's doing around you, the things that God's doing around you. Excuse me. I was at a conference once, and it's another way um, that, that parents do this. If you're a parent, we actually protect our kids from spiritual things, right? I know it sounds strange, but Christian parents do this all the time. I was at a conference once, and this guy said, this is what he said, this is what he said, and I wrote it down. I thought, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I, this is, I think this is true. He said, the number one barrier for this generation of young people, of teenagers or millennials, the number one barrier for this generation of teenagers and young people to take the, the, the love of Jesus and illuminate it out into our culture to really change our society in the name of Jesus. Do you know what the number one barrier is that he said? It's Christian parents. That's what he said. Because we have our teenagers, we have our kids, we have our young people come and say, listen, I, I think maybe... I, I want to go to this Bible study that I've heard or this group of Christians, as a, you know, kids that are meeting for like a prayer or something before school and Christian parents say, uh, you're going to be out late tonight at practice. No. Hey mom, I think, I, I think maybe I want to try a mission trip. You know, I've heard some people talking about going to Honduras or, 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 or Haiti or something and I think maybe I, I, I want to go and experience that. It's too dangerous. I think maybe I, I've heard this summer that some teenagers are, are, are going to this Christian camp or this, or this Christian like conference for teenagers, and it sounds pretty exciting. Um, do, do you think I could go? We're already sending and paying for soccer camp. And well-meaning Christian parents protecting our kids from too much spiritual thing. We want to get our kids into spiritual environments and relationships that will speak to their soul, but we let busyness and fear lead. And you know what Paul says? Church, this battle's real. This enemy's not going away. Look at what he says. Look, look again in, in verse six or chapter six, verse twelve. He says, "For we are not fighting against the flesh and blood enemies." but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Paul says, guys, this, parents, grandparents, kids, this is really happening. And this battle is not just for in our world, right? This isn't just a battle where God's people, as we're supposed to, go out and we, and we lead the charge against injustice and, and addiction and darkness and loneliness as the church should be fighting against. But this is a battle for your heart and souls as well, for your hearts and your minds. Any athlete, um, any, any famous athlete who has been quoted, and when you Google it, you can read for endless days on athletes who have said something similar to what I'm getting ready to say. They've said it in different ways, but here it goes. It's a little cliche, but it actually rings true. Right? Any athlete who has dug down deep and fought hard for the win will tell you this, that in order to win, you can't listen to the voices inside of your own head and heart that tell you that you can't do it. And you can't listen to the voices from other people who say you don't have what it takes. Like, and you can't approach every obstacle as something that's insurmountable. But what do they say? What do the athletes say? What do the artists say? But you've got to dig down deep. 
Like you've got to dig down deep in your gut because victory starts from within. And then it comes out. The battle for our hearts is real and it starts there. I think when these athletes say this, I think they're right. I think our Heavenly Father, think about this for a minute, I think our Heavenly Father wired us that way. Do you get that sense? That our Heavenly Father created us to feel that there is this power, right? There is this, there's something in us, this resource that is from inside of our hearts that's just like waiting to come out. And I think that's our Heavenly Father trying to tell us something about what it takes to win, Because it takes you and I surrendering our hearts to Jesus every day, more and more surrender. Surrendering our hearts to Jesus. And when we do that, Ephesians tells us that, Paul says in Ephesians, that God's power and love, the fullness of Jesus, begin to fill us up too. Okay? As we surrender more, this power of God and the fullness of his love begins to fill you and I too. It's, the, it's where it starts and it's the first place that our enemy will attack. See, Satan's temptation. If you're not familiar, um, one of Jesus' friends and one of the fo- his followers, uh, Matthew, wrote the nar- a narrative of Jesus' life in the New Testament of the Bible the Gospel of Matthew. And he tells us of Jesus' baptism. It's the first public appearance that Jesus is saying here, the ministry starting. And Jesus walks down to the Jordan River and he's baptized. And when he comes out of the water, Matthew tells us there's this voice that comes from heaven. And it's the voice of the Father. And he says, this is my son and in him I take great delight. And it says in that place that Matthew tells us that Jesus left that place and the Holy Spirit leads him out into the wilderness, into the desert. And for 40 days, Jesus was fasting there and and preparing for the road to salvation that he knew was on his shoulders. And in that moment, Satan shows up and he tempts Jesus. And the very first words that Satan uses to tempt Jesus away from the cross is this, if you are the son of God, That's the question. If you are the son of God, then take those stones and turn them to bread and eat them. That's what he says. You see, the real battle, guys, church, isn't at the activity level. It's not at the turn the stones into bread level, but we think it is. And so that's why we ask the questions that we do. We say, what can I do as a Christian to feel like I'm still a believer, but then get away with all the things I really want to do anyway. Like, what, what, how, how can we tow that line? Like, what is it that God really wants for me? What does he need from me? I remember one time my brother and I trying to compile a list when we were like teenagers, maybe middle school, high school, of all the things we thought that the Bible like emphatically said you couldn't do. And then like all the other gray area stuff was like, all right, yeah. And, and I, don't, I don't know where the list is, but I promise you it didn't work out well, all right? All right, but, but that's what we did, and we all do that, right? What do I have to do in order to get by? What is it that God requires of me? Am I doing enough? Shoot, maybe I should take the assessment, and I don't even care about the results. Maybe I should volunteer as a greeter and grind coffee and serve in the nursery just in case it's not enough. 
right? The, the, the battle isn't at the activity level. It's not at the stones to bread level, but we like to think that it is. The real battle isn't at the activity level, it's at the identity level. You see, Satan's first words were, if you are the son of God. The real battle is, who am I and who am I called to be? So where's the enemy's target zone? Where's the devil's target zone for, for you, for your kids, your grandkids, right? It's not in your religious actions. I'll bet Satan couldn't care less how often you come to church. He's like, go all the time, go once a year, doesn't matter to me. Because if he can keep you locked in, that you think that this battle of faith is really just about the things that you do, man, he does, you're no threat to him at all. That's fine. But if he can get you to doubt who you are in Christ, if he can twist, it's what he did to Jesus. If he can twist and, and fool you into believing that you are not who God said you are, then he has your identity. And when he has your identity, then the mission of the church fails as well. What flows from your identity is the mission of the church, then it's lost too. No, the target that our, that our enemy has on us, it's a big bullseye. And do you know what's written on the middle of that bullseye? Son or daughter. And if he can get you to doubt that, then he's won. So it forces us to pause for a second and ask, where are you bound up by the lies of the enemy? If I asked you right now to write it down, where are you hung up with the lies of our enemy about your identity? I mean, who you really are. Son or daughter? Failure? Liar? Hard worker? What is he telling you you are? See, the lies just aren't in our own minds and hearts either because once the enemy attacks our minds and hearts, he then goes after the collective body of the church, doesn't he? And if you've ever been part of a church, you've been ever, ever in church for any amount of time, you've seen this because the, the, the lie to the body, the collective body of the church is it's the clergy's job, it's the pastor's job to do the ministry, right? He's the one that gets paid, he can do all the work, Right? And that's kind of, you know, tongue-in-cheek, but that's often how we can feel. Also, there's this one, and I'm guilty of this too. In fact, we've kind of been guilty of it in our culture and for a thousand years. And that is the phrase, let's go to church, right? It's innocent enough. It's harmless, and we'll all do it, all right? Um, even though we meet in high school, you guys came to church today, right? We all did, right? And that's because in our hearts and in our minds, the enemy wants to solidify a lie, and that is, church is a place you go to, to procure religious goods and services, to feel good or not, and then leave and go about your day. And guys, if the enemy is persistent enough, then we'll just end up all just playing church. And Paul says that you were made, you and I, for so much more. So how do we win? You know, Paul's saying, let me give you these final words, church, so how do we know that we're winning? 
If we were created to win more in this mission that we're on, how do we know? Um, I, I did run across this quote when I was searching the other day. Um, one of the most, a guy that's most famous for coaching the IU basketball team and for throwing chairs and his verbal tirades. Um, Bobby Knight said this, the key is not the will to win. Everyone has that. It is the will to prepare to win that is important. So here in the end of chapter six, is where Paul implores the church, listen, body of Christ, because this is how we prepare to win more. And he goes in to Ephesians 6, starting in verse 13. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So in Paul's mind, and I can picture him, all right, when he's writing this letter to the Christians in Ephesus, he's sitting in prison in Rome. And you can read about that in Acts chapter 28. Paul is under house arrest in Rome, awaiting his trial before Caesar. And as Paul's sitting there, I can imagine him day after day trying to think of, like, how do I tell the church this? Like, how do I, how do I illustrate this to the church of what how they win? And then he keeps looking out every day at the centurion guard that, that, that's standing outside of his quarters. And I can imagine one day it, like, it hits him. He's like, that's it. That's what it's like. It's like all of these pieces of armor coming together for one fighting unit. We're waging a war. We're in a war zone. That's what Paul's telling the church. Guys, we're in a war zone and we were made to win more. I'm going to ask you to do something here with me, and it's going to feel weird, and it's, going, and, and it's okay because it will be weird for everyone, all right? Can we just agree that, on that? But I, I want to do, ask you to do something with me. I'm going to ask you to stand up, if you would. Trust me on this, okay? If you, trust me on this, this one, okay? It's going to feel a little odd, but this is what Paul's saying. Listen, so here's what I want. If you're a follower of Jesus, all right, if you're a part of White Oak and you're a follower of Jesus, you can consider White Oak your church home. In just a second, I want to ask you to grab the hand of maybe the people you came with or maybe kind of link arms with people or if, you know, you can put your arms around their shoulders or if you're just uh, totally weirded out by it, just move a little closer to the people next to you. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to fill through the aisles, fill across the aisles. All right, so go ahead and move and do that. Listen, listen, if, if you're a guest with us, yeah, go ahead and keep, don't, uh, yeah, just, just move. You can move and listen at the same time. I'll watch you move and talk at the same time. Listen, if you're a guest with us, all right, if you're a guest with us, and maybe this is like totally weird for you, here's what I want you to see, all right? Here's what I want you to see. I want you to see something that's really powerful. Because if you're a guest with us, or this is your first time here, and you're like, what the heck are these people doing? Is this a cult? All right, listen, listen. I, I want you to know something. I want you to know that we are for you. That this is a church. That this is a community of believers that is for you. That we believe that there is more for your marriage. 
that we believe, and we're going to fight for it. Even if you don't, we're going to fight for you. We're going to fight for your kids. We're going to fight for our neighbors. We're going to fight, and we're going to use our gifts to solve the problems that Satan has caused in our community, in our city. That we are going to fight together, because we believe there's more for you in your relationship with your Heavenly Father. So even if you're a guest with us today, I'm so glad you're here. At least I want you to see that that's what we're for. Because we believe that we're all made to win more. And we believe we know the source of the power that's going to do it. And so when Paul's speaking to this church, guys, listen, we, we read it through this lens of this American lens, right? This Western world where we're so individualistic, aren't we? So we read that in Ephesians and we're like, oh, okay, so I've got to put on this armor. I've got to pick up every piece. I've got to, um, you know, I have to have all this giftedness and I've got to just start trying my best to win more. But listen, Paul's not talking to individuals. He's writing a letter to to a culture that believes in community. The Jewish believers thought of nothing except for the heritage of the Jewish family, the whole Jewish family. The Romans who were giving their lives to Jesus thought of the power and the might of their empire. Understand, Paul's writing to a group of people who think collectively, not individually. And so when Paul writes to the Ephesians, put on the helmet, take up the the sword, take up your shield, put on the armor of God, he's talking to a body of believers One unit of people collected together to fight, to win, to guard, and to let the fullness of Jesus' love illuminate through their community. We're in this together. Now, you might say, as you're standing there, yeah, uh, that's nice, but like, I, I don't have a lot of faith right now, or I'm not sure I've got those shoes, right? Or I don't know that I've got that helmet thing down. I'm not sure about it. Even if you go back to earlier in Ephesians, when Paul says that you've been given these, these gifts of apostle, of teacher, of prophet, of evangelist, that everybody's been giving these gifts from God, you and I struggle individualistically. We say, well, but I don't have that. I'm not a prophet. I'm not a teacher. And Paul says it doesn't matter because look three rows ahead of you right now or, or two people to your left. They have it. And the people behind you have that other thing that you don't you think you have. So, do you understand? That's what Paul's talking about. Together, as a community of believers, this is how we win. A body of sons and daughters on mission together, ready to deploy our gifts to illuminate our culture with the love of Jesus Christ. That's how we win. So this is what I want to ask you to do today. I want you to ask you to consider, I want you to consider two things. One, if you have never known your identity as a son or daughter of our Heavenly Father, would you just write that on your connection card before you leave? That you want to talk to somebody about that, about baptism, because I want you to know who you are and your identity. If you know that, then here's what I want to ask you to do. Find a way discover what your gifts and your passions are and deploy them to shine the light and illuminate the love of Jesus in our community.